Attention Limerick. Have you seen my dog? Mauler, a foxy Tibetan bull mastiff wolf whippet mix web missing from my yard at 9 o'clock this morning. Last seen driving a black OD and clearing a group of small fellas out of it in little car park. We are heartbroken as a family and terrified. Mauler is a dwarf of a dog, but he also has severe behavioural issues since coming off the drink. Do not try and talk to him, you won't get through to him. And if you're wearing black or white items of clothing, don't go near him. He'll take you for a piebald horse and go for your throat. If you have any information about my dog, don't hesitate to contact me, John Murphy. I'm John Murphy, right? Via Donny Scott Solicitors. Marlow is more than just a member of my family. He's also the owner of my car and godfather to my child. Marlow, if you're listening, please come home. Okay, let's bring my bastard home. If I say, um, uh, what's the word? Eeny, you say? Miney. Meeny. Miney. It's Meeny. Eeny, Eeny, oh yeah, Meeny, okay. This is gonna, this is what you're gonna do to me. You're just setting me up to make a twat of myself. <laughs> what are we trying again? Eeny. Meeny. Miney. Mo. Okay. <laughs> That'll do. We can go. <laughs> I'll use small words so that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. What did you say? You are a sad, strange little man. Don't call me stupid. Hello, and welcome to The Best Bits, a movie podcast where each week we pick our favourite scenes from randomly selected, weirdly specific themes. This is your co-host, Will, a screenwriter of three films plus a Christmas special. And I'm joined once again by my co-host and writer of one and a bit films and three a bit three and a bit episodes of TV, Kevin. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Will. We're back. We're back. Episode two. Yeah, I, I feel that this is going to be our uh, Temple of Doom. <laughs> I like Temple of Doom. Depending on my mood, well, I like Temple of Doom. Yeah, it's no, you know, it's no Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but you know, hey, you know, there's. I have blanked that film out, but remember, this is a podcast where we keep everything positive. So true, yeah. Our motto, you know, you came up with a great idea during the week, uh, or we said you said movies are fun, and that's what we kind of. I like that idea that um, we're striving to create a a sense that movies are fun. Yeah, because like what we do is we toil. And we grind and we struggle and try to get things produced or get them to mm-hmm. the point where other people would want to produce them. And you can sort of lose sight of the fact that we got into this because we love films and that we are fans of films. And this was sort of our way of taking it back to us being outside the capital cinema or bumping into each other in a pub and saying, I just saw this film and... Uh, it had this great bit in it or, or whatever, whatever we would say to each other to sort of like amp each other up and keep, get ourselves excited to watch something. So um, that was the 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 vibe that we were hoping to, or that we are hoping to get with this podcast. We should discuss, we should just um, remind or just introduce people to the idea and concept of the show of like the mechanics of how this, 
how this actually works. So we have a big wheel that's filled with about 300 different scene suggestions. And they are everything from A to Z. So everything from ad-libbed scene to zombie scene to all the the wacky uh, uh, concepts we could think of. Um, Some of them are based on actors. Some of them are based on script, you know, topics like intros and midpoints and and um, plot twists and some of them are based on directors and then some of them are just based on you know what you would think of as a memorable scene those could be sex scenes those could be um disaster movie scenes those could be fight scenes death scenes it's it covers as i say 300 different topics right now and we're going to keep adding to it or deselecting ones depending on whether one of us gets a veto and decides to pull that out but that's the general concept and last week we Mm. spun the wheel and I got, or you spun for me, and I got best chasing, and I spun for you, and you got best Harrison Ford. Scene. Yeah, and we should say they're not the best. Like we're not sort of making the claim that these are the best and the rest are the worst. It's our favorite scenes, to be honest. So um, they're our favorite scenes on those topics, not the best. It's sort of like how the blacklist describes um, that best of list as a most liked list, and. That's what we're doing here. Batman thing is back. Uh, Will, last week I spun the wheel and you got best Harrison Ford scene. I'm dying to know what did you pick and how did you land on that choice? Oh, God. It was incredibly difficult. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> it was It was like, listen, listen, okay. Um, the cat is pissing. It, it, this is a very... Harrison Ford, I didn't realize until I actually kind of like started staring at him and I realized what an important figure he is in my life because, okay, this is, this is very, this is very personal and very subjective stuff. But like, I remember when I was in five, when I was five years of age before, this is like, you know, when I lived an issue sort of story, but like before I even knew there was a cinema existed, you know, and before we had a video player, the only time I ever could catch a film was like on TV live on the two channels that we had back then. And I remember, you know, devouring Dirty Guide at Christmas and just kind of like earmarking the films that you're going to watch. And for me, and Christmas of 85, I think it was, or 84, 85, I remember earmarking like Raiders of the Lost Ark and going, I've got to see this film. I have to see it. And um, you were five when you were making these little notations? uh, Six, maybe 15, I don't know. (laughs) 15. precocious yeah. kid i'm not saying it happened again this year but anyway um <laughs> we should say it, for those listening the rt guide is like the radio times um mm. it, it was a, a magazine that would give you all the tv listings and yeah yeah anyway i remember being pulled away to my uncle's house this morning that Raiders of lost ark was on and i was just it was just fuming i just like literally just i remember sitting there in my uncle's living room sulking and just looking at their tv that wasn't turned on knowing that indiana jones was somewhere in there for me to be seen we're the same person <laughs> yeah, really yeah i realized then that like harrison ford like between han solo and indiana jones He's a he's our he like he is for me he's my Humphrey Bogart Clark Gable Spencer Tracy all rolled up into one he's played roles that between obviously the, like the greatest scoundrel in the galaxy Han, Han Solo and the greatest action hero that ever was Indiana Jones and he's played like iconic characters like Jack Ryan in Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger he was uh, Richard Kimball in The Fugitive you know just just icon- oh, obviously Deckard and Blade Runner. Um, so just this 
a titan, a true movie star of my age. So kind of getting into this was difficult for me because there's so many of his films that I absolutely love. Really, really love. And he was he's an interesting guy because, I, okay, I did a bit of research. I had no choice but to do research to try and narrow down what the hell do I you know, pick for this. And I came across a, a, a lovely little article about him on, in Vulture. And there's a quote. I'm going to read a quote now, right? Here we go. So the quote goes, Mm -hmm. In a culture full of celebrities, breathlessly competing for our attention, Harrison Ford feels not just like an anachronism, but an aberration. The movie star who really, really doesn't want to be there. Ford's disdain for the mechanics of fame is refreshing and also really funny. He might be the most delightfully grumpy public figure outside of Larry David. And I think, in in essence, there's, there's... I think that kind of captures everything about Harrison Ford because I did a bit of research on him and he he's one of these guys who accidentally fell into acting and he never wanted to be a movie star he was in college in Chicago and uh, he was basically his grades were slipping he was looking for the easiest ride through college and he saw that there was this course called drama and you know there's a lot of girls signing up to it and he said oh well I'll sign on for that and but didn't realize that he'd had he'd have to do some acting, so he ended up acting, and he going he just thought, ah, oh, this is pretty good. And then when he finished college, like all his buddies were like had their eye on like you know a, a, a career, and he saw them all kind of having long careers and eventually you know you know retiring to a golf course and dying, and he just didn't fancy that. He wanted some more adventure, so he's in Chicago, and he's I think he was married at the time. And he decided he was going to give acting a go. The only place you can, can do that is in the East Coast or the West Coast. So him and his wife decided they'd flip a coin for it. And it came up East Coast. And he grew up in Chicago, in, in, in cold Chicago. Wow. And he just decided that he didn't like cold winters. He said, he said okay, best two out of three. So after, after that, he won. He ended up in, in Hollywood. <laughs> he got a, a contract gig at Columbia where he's being paid $150 a week. He'd have like little support not even supporting parents one line gigs in in movies in the in the late 60s and he'd show up on tv shows but it wasn't really paying the bills paging mr ellis paging mr ellis paging mr ellis boy bob ellis he kind of he, he had he, he obviously was he had an interest in carpentry because through his dad and all of a sudden this is just how Harrison Ford's life has gone he's just he accidentally has been in the right place at the right time this like famous Mexican music artist and more importantly an incredibly wealthy one wanted to build a recording studio and this is around 1970 and he said oh he just asked one of his buddies like who was an actor and he said oh I'm just I need a carpenter and his acting buddy said, oh, I know this other guy. He think he might be a carpenter. Kind of half knowing that Harrison Ford had an interest. And so Harrison Ford got the gig and he was paid $100,000 to build this recording studio. Wow, in 1970. It's, it was worth, for inflation, 600000 His His <laughs> first job. His <laughs> wow. first job. So got a, he went to a library and he actually studied himself. He, he self-taught completely. And what happened was, was that he decided he got out of like his contract with Columbia and he would only take uh, acting jobs that suited him, that he thought were interesting or, or were progressing his career. He would, never took an acting job for the money because he started to make real money as a carpenter. And he started to get a lot of clients and customers because he was damn good. 
and he was very, very talented. So he was, I think, if, mm. if it wasn't for one faithful day when Harrison Ford was hired by Francis Ford Coppola to design this kind of like new wooden entranceway and build it, that uh, we, he, Harrison Ford, if that didn't happen, Harrison Ford probably would be a multi-millionaire builder contracting woodwork guy in Hollywood right now. Um, but it didn't work Isn't out that it way. Isn't sad? It didn't work out for him. <laughs> yeah, <him>. God. <laughs> if only we could have, if we could have little Harrison Ford IKEA furniture, furniture out there. We're missing something. Yeah. The universe is missing something special. But um, of course, like it's it's Tom a fairly... Selleck would agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Tom Selleck's mustache is really ruining the Poorly. day. He took that kid gig. Um, but anyway, it was the day. Like everyone probably knows this. Like, of course, they were in. Um, it was he was doing the job the same time they were auditioning for Star Wars, and um, Lucas was looking for someone to read Han Solo to audition like the different parts, and it just so happened that. Um, Harrison Ford was there and Harrison Ford had a small part in uh, American Graffiti. So he asked Harrison Ford to come in and read and Bob's your uncle and they, they, everyone realises that Harrison Ford is absolutely fantastic and he's Han Solo and he's an instant you know, star. So there we go. Harrison Ford kind of ends up becoming a superstar just because he was accidentally in the right place at the right time. Checks out again. There's no mistake. You can't find Organa Major? I found it. It just isn't there. Organa Major's been destroyed? What's left of it's completely contaminated. That's it there. Look at those radiation readouts. I've never seen anything like it. No. It's impossible. So, What's going um, on? So coming to the film, so then I was, I, in my effort to try and whittle down my best Harrison Ford scene, totally I, I, I said I'm not going to do the obvious. I gave myself a bit of a veto and uh, I wasn't going to do Han Solo. I wasn't going to do uh, Indiana Jones. And so I toiled and tossed and I looked at clips and I watched all of Witness and, uh, I, and I ended up going with... Witness? I'm going to play the trailer for you right now. <laughs> is it Witness? It's, it's Raiders of the Last Act. Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> that is brilliant. is back pursued by Belloc I couldn't I couldn't it was it was genuinely going through his body of work it was so hard for me to just turn a blind eye to the fact that this man has played Indiana Jones and if I'm looking for this man's best bit and if there was if there was going to be a, a, a moratorium, I was like going, this guy is Indiana Jones. It's his best role. It's one of the greatest char- cinematic characters ever made. And I can't, I can't deny that, that, that he, he, he brought so much nuance and he made that, like, you know, I know it's a perfect kind of like storm of these forces between Lucas and Spielberg and Lawrence Kasdan. And John Williams coming together and, uh, and 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 it all working, but at the core, this is like this amazing casting of Harrison Ford, the kind of like the the everyman hero, 
who really doesn't want to be there. Well, like he just he and he's the perfect guy because he's what I what I love about Harrison Ford's portrayal of Indiana Jones is that he's never trying to impress you, but he's always impressive. It has that brilliant line, doesn't it, which uh, uh, starts off that amazing uh, chase sequence, which was what I was immediately going to go for in my category, except I thought I had a suspicion that you would go with Raiders, so I didn't want to pick the truck chase. But he has that... (laughs) It feels like an off-the-cuff ad-lib. I don't know, I'm making this up as I go. Jones! going after that truck oh I don't know I'm making this up as I go yeah and yeah that seems to sum up his his character doesn't it he's just he's his character and Indy's character he's making it up as he goes absolutely and it's oh yeah and it's and he's always believable this is the one thing about he I think Harrison Ford he I've seen interviews with him and he's kind of thought of himself he wanted to have a career as a character actor someone who would kind of come in the back of a scene and kind of would appear, you know, in feature films but not be the main lead. But I don't think he has the range to be a character actor. I think he kind of has this this kind of like happy zone of this very kind of competent everyman type of guy who doesn't really want to be there. And it's not like he doesn't really want to do the work. I think he takes great pride and great pleasure out of performing and acting on the day he just doesn't want to do all of the fame and the the hoo-ha that goes around with it you know he just he he has a very um he plays a very different type of character than the sort of the archetypes that we know him for or that most people would know him for best in mosquito coast mm. where he's playing this very nervous uh, energy this sort of conspiracy theorist um uh, guy who believes that he just believes in, in the government is going to suppress rights and that America is going to hell and that there is um, a nuclear holocaust is coming. And um, he just basically sweeps his, his family up and, and in order to attain a better life, he just ends up ruining it. And that's a, a very different form, performance from what he usually does. But you're right, he, he sort of has a sweet spot of playing the, the everyman. And it's it's rare that you ever see him in roles where he isn't that. Like, when I was looking through his category, knowing you were going to be doing this, it dawned on me that he's only played a villain once that I can think Mm of, and that's uh, in uh, What Lies Beneath. Other than that, he's always been the dependable, grounded um, everyman. It's an absolute sin to accept the decadence of obsolescence. Why do things get worse and worse? They don't have to. They could get better and better. We accept that things fall apart, but they don't have to. They need to last forever. We eat when we're not hungry, drink when we're not thirsty, we buy what we don't need and throw away everything that's useful. And it depends on how you look at his character in Mosquito Coast as well, because his character, you know, don't forget that that was written by Paul Schrader. And it's a very Paul Schrader mm. film of this very angry man who kind of sends his family on a kind of a, uh, you know, on a on a boat off of, off a, not literally, but, you know, figuratively, you know, off the edge of a cliff, you know, by his actions. And But he, again, his, his determination and his belief in what he's doing is right. Uh, of course, mm. in, in Mosquito Coast, he does a lot of woodwork and he's, he's in a happy place. And <laughs> when I was, it's funny enough, I, I rewatched Witness for this and one of the, 
you know, just an awful lot of times I see Harrison Ford in scenes, or the scenes I've watched, and you do feel like Harrison Ford is he's thinking about something else. As in, not in a not in a negative way, but in the scene, his character wants to be somewhere else. But if you watch Witness, and this was almost my favorite scene. It's the the raising of the barn scene in Witness. And in that, they actually, that scene, they actually raised a barn with um, real Amish people. And you see in that scene, it's like an almost documentary footage from the day. And you see Harrison Ford like at the top of this uh, structure. And it's like long shots of him. And Harrison Ford looks as content as I've ever seen him. He's, you see him like doing, he's in, he's in his happy place. He's just knocking nails into a big plank and uh, and shaving things and it's really it was a really lovely contrast to see that to see that see that expression on his face it was very naturalistic and it was really it was really good but i want to bring it back to i'm going to come back to raiders right so coming back to raiders of the lost ark i then had to say okay i'm narrowing this down now what i could honestly say is look all of indiana jones except crystal skull is like his best bit. I think he really, he just, that performance and that character is just as something wonderful. Like, you know, it's a, it's an icon of cinema. So all of it's great. So selecting one bit was really, really difficult. And I decided, even though Raiders is a very conventional choice, I decided I was kind of go, for, I was going to go for a best bit that wasn't conventional and kind of, maybe I can kind of talk about it in, in an interesting way. Now, Kevin, I might, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, Share the clip. The scene that I'm going for is the army intelligence scene. Oh, I know the scene well. It's the it's where they're briefing him on. Um, it's an exposition scene, yes. but he he's so uh, yeah, he's so um, excited uh, by what he's telling them. Yeah, you're absolutely right in what you're saying. That 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 clip. It's it's we see Indiana Jones in a different light. For the entirety of all the other films, Indiana Jones is a man of adventure. He's he's using his bullwhip to you know swing across chasms. Um, he's dodging Nazi bullets and getting his heart almost ripped out by uh, some Indian racist, um, you know, racial stereotyped um, shaman dude. Um, but in this, we see a corner, a side of Indiana Jones where we see the professor. And when we kind of the scene I'm sharing is starts with him in his classroom and he's passionately talking about this kind of like cairn site, like a burial site. And you can see like the class is just filled with these doting teenagers and like one girl like, you know, blinks slowly and she just on and, and, and mascara says like, love you on her, on her eyes. And I find I, I, you first of all, you see like, OK, everyone's in love with him. But I think. I think I would be too, because you can see he's so passionate about the subject. He's really, really, really into the subject. And then once the class leaves, like Marcus, his buddy, Denim Elliott's, you know, friend comes in and Denim Elliott says, look, there's these, you know, army intelligence people want to have a conversation with you. And Indiana Jones is going, OK, I'm in trouble. Yes, the museum will buy them as usual. No questions asked. Yes, they are nice. They're worth at least the price of a ticket to America. But the people I brought are important to the waiting. What people? The army intelligence. I knew you were coming before I did. See to know everything. You couldn't tell me what they want. What do I want to see them for? What am I, in trouble? 
Now, what proceeds is, is, is a scene that I love. It, as you just said, Kevin, it's, it's the exposition of the scene. And you know from being a screenwriter, you know, of any sort of fantasy, whether it be horror or, you know, sci-fi, whatever, the exposition of the scene is like one of the toughest scenes to crack because... You know, mm. why, why, uh, you know, you're delivering the rules of the world. You're delivering the rules of the story that your audience need to learn so that they can kind of like enjoy the rest of the adventure with some sort of knowledge in the back of their head. And getting that across in a way that's not boring or, uh, or, or slows the whole story down is a very, very tricky and delicate, delicate task. Um, you know, James Cameron, James Cameron famously did it in Terminator where he had all the exposition being told by Michael Bean's character to Sarah Connor while they're being shot at and chased by the Terminator. So like they're in yeah. motion and he, he just he's shouting all of the exposition at her. These are the rules of the world. This is what you have to do. Mm. And here we have a scene where literally they meet these army guys and the army guys are pitching to Indiana Jones uh, uh, and Denham Elliott about these, uh, about this, you know, the Nazis are, uh, you know, we've been hearing stuff about the Nazis, about this, you know, Tannis, they found this place called Tannis. And Indiana Jones immediately kind of takes the role of teacher. And he tells the students, the army guys, to take a seat. And Dr. Jones, we've heard a great deal about you. Have you? Uh, professor of archaeology, expert on the occult. And uh, I just want to say it, obtainer of rare antiquities. One way of saying it, why don't you sit down, you'll be more comfortable. And he's listening and he's listening. But what I love about it is that this is not a particularly, I don't think it's it's craftily written in that's in the sense that Cameron had this energy in the scene where we, where they were moving fast this is actually like an expositional dump but we see once once they they mention the Ark of the Covenant or Tanits you see a light going off in Harrison Ford's eyes in Indiana Jones's eyes and he he's his mind is going his mind is racing and he takes over he becomes that impassioned teacher Tanis development proceeding Choir headpiece, staff of Ra, Abner Ravenwood, U.S. Nazis have discovered Tannis. Just what does that mean to you, uh, Tannis? Well, well the city of Tannis is one of the possible resting places of the Lost Ark. The Lost Ark? Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant, the chest the Hebrews used to carry around the Ten Commandments. What do you what mean, do you mean the... Commandments? You're talking about the Ten Commandments? Yes, the actual Ten Commandments, the original stone tablets that Moses brought down out of Mount Harab and smashed, if you believe in that sort of thing. Any you guys ever go to Sunday school? And you can see the army guys getting kind of like, one guy is a little bit kind of resident when he's talking about, like, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the... All the different backstory and the different pharaohs and all this sort of stuff and Pope Moses, basically all of the back the backstory to it. But the other guy is a, is engaged and also he has got Denim Elliott beside him and you know the two of them have this lovely little back and forth. Like uh, you know, th- there's this. Of course, if you believe that sort of thing, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, if you be- if you believe that sort of thing, and he's almost embarrassed to to be getting so excited. That's exactly it. And. There's a moment when uh, Harrison Ford flips over the chalkboard and he literally starts drawing, you know, the the the, the amulet and the the staff of Ra, and uh, he literally lays out what's going to happen for the rest of the film. But what's amazing about this scene, I find, with Harrison Ford is that he sells it. He believes in he believes in this mythology, and he believes 
in the gravity of what the Nazis are actually after. And he sells it to us. Now, there's a little bit of help from John Williams' score at the end when they open up the book and they have that picture of the, 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 the let's say, the four soldiers carrying the ark and the, the rays of light and souls and the power of God coming out. What does this ark look like? There's a picture of it right here. Good God. Yes, that's just what the Hebrews thought. Uh, now what's that supposed to be coming out of there? Lightning. Fire. Power of God or something. You're going to understand Hitler's interest in this. Oh, yes. The Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. An army which carries the Ark before it is invincible. But I truly believe it's it's in like Harrison Ford's performance makes that scene really, really uh, makes that scene work pop. and makes it pop and makes us as an audience. Uh, ready and willing to go on that adventure with him and I believe that if you had a close up of one of those army guys faces and he blinked really slowly written on it in mascara would be love you you know (laughs) (laughs) it's true though if you didn't have even the the uh, blistering sort of exciting opening with the the booby trapped temple and you just opened with that even if it was a, a, a film that had none of the uh, escapades of Indiana Jones, you know, going off and, and getting into different scrapes, and it was just him tracking the stone in a very staid sort of uh, conventional dramatic film, it would still hook you that sequence because of how excited he is to uh, get to the bottom of it and, and find the answers and find the the, the first uh, clue that will lead him to the Ark of the Covenant. It's uh, yeah, it really works. Mm. And did you? Uh, well, I'm going to close up on my scene right there. That's where I where, where where I ended up, Kevin. Did you have a think? What would be your kind of like favorite Harrison Ford scene if you were to think of one? My favorite Harrison Ford scene would probably be the scene in uh, the Fugitive when. He's gone back to Cook County Hospital to uh, get some information that will help him in clearing his name, uh, Dr. Richard Kimball, clearing his name uh, for the murder of his wife. And while he's uh, uh, loitering in the hallway, a kid um, is being misdiagnosed by um, a harried doctor and he notices it. Mm -hmm. And he decides to step in, risking um, risking blowing his cover to save the kid's life. It's not the most um, standout Harrison Ford scene, but it's such a beautiful little moment that really uh, you can't help but root like crazy for that character after that. Um, That's what just came to my mind as as you were asking me that. But truth be told, if it was me in your shoes, I would have gone with Indiana Jones scene as well. Uh, it would have been something from Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls, but you know, (laughs) we we differ on that. And that was my segment on best Harrison Ford scene. And it was intensively researched. And um, I now think I deserve a long nap. 
Um, so <laughs> it's time for us to move on to uh, the next bit of business. And I think it's important for us, first of all, to be completely transparent with what we're actually doing here. And uh, and that transparency that I have to confess right now is that we are not recording this in sequence. We're actually, we've come back from the future. It's, Can uh, they 20- tell by our voices? Do we sound different? <laughs> Is it sound we sound different? <laughs> well, the year we've come from is 2042. And um, we realised we had an error in Trump our is president again. <laughs> he's, he's Trump heads. Jr. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, God. <sighs> well, That's what- grim. <laughs> so what we've done is that uh, we've done we've decided between the recording of this show that we've that you've just listened to we realized that we've had enough content for what for two whole shows because I listened to Kevin's next segment and I I when I listened to what I listened to what I went oh my god that's a whole show an amazing show unto itself so uh, so we realized that it was going to be a lot we can, it was going to be an easier listen for everyone and it was going to be easier for us to make, ultimately. And uh, we can invest ourselves more in the actual episodes if we just did one spin of the wheel and one person doing show and tell. So Yeah, one scene a week. It also makes naming the episodes a lot easier. It's just that scene is going to be that episode. And we get to sort of um, play tag. So I go off and I pick out uh, what my favourite scene is of, on whatever topic. And I come back and I tell you and you have no idea what it is. And then I hand over to you and then next week you do the same. So we get to sort of alternate between being the the one pitching and the one hearing the pitch. So it's uh, it keeps it fun for us and it gives us a week off in between. What we're going to do now is we're going to give you a beautiful flashback sound effect. Doodaloo and take you right back in time. Wait for it. And we're going to hear Kevin's spin of the wheel from last week. So insert sound effect. That's good. Okay, Kevin. I am spinning for you now. Oh my god. I can hear it spinning in my ear. And it is coming to a stop. And Kevin, your I'm scared. Your best bits topic for next week is best chase scene. Oh, okay. That's a good one, but that is so open-ended. Yes. There are probably there were probably a thousand chasings. Yes. So the best chasing. Wow. Well, if you do the same amount of research I do, which is basically <laughs> close your eyes for two seconds and the first the first image that pops into your brain, let that be it, then it should be easy. Chariots of fire. <laughs> so we're back. And Kevin Chase scenes next week. Looking forward to it. I've Chase already recorded it, but I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> and I've already listened to it, and I love it. It was, yeah, it's actually my um, my most favorite um, thing that I've listened to so far. And um, uh, yeah, so please um, come back, subscribe, and subscribe. Like it and won't subscribe. be this messy all the time. It's just that as we were going along, we decided let's simplify this, and this mm. is us simplifying it. Yeah, because we're simple people. <laughs> simple corkman simple simple corkman now Kevin before we go we, we've gone a bit professional now listen to this Kevin where can people find you uh, so we've started up a twitter and it's called best bits pod 
and if you click on that, you'll get both of our handles, but if you just want to go direct to the source, I'm at Kevin Lehan on Twitter, and what are you, Will? I am Willems Film on Twitter, W-A-L-L-U-M-S-F-I-L-L-U-M. There you go. Well, that, that wraps up this episode, and uh, next week, chase scenes. Great. All right. Good luck. Take care. Bits podcast is produced by Will and Kevin. All audio clips and music heard in this episode is the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. If you have any notes, comments, scene suggestions, or just want to get in touch with us, email us at bestbitspodcast at gmail.com. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show, the full episode plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. The best bits with Will and Kevin. No, the best bits with Kevin and Willem. With the films and the, the TV and the latest films. Something, something, something. something. Um, don't forget that you owe us three euro. Okay. <laughs> you can't remember really what. <laughs> oh my God. I, I did a whole Irish theme. The best bits with Kevin and Willem. Talking TV and the Okay, right. I'm going to find the fucking thing because it's going to be the music to start the episode. I don't think I've heard this. You have. Well, maybe you haven't. I don't think I have heard this. I do. I suspect that what you do is you just put the laugh and emoji thing and think I'll listen to that some other time. Fuck it, that'll do. Because it's bound to be funny in his eyes. So I'll just tell him what he wants to hear. I actually only laugh the emoji when I've actually listened to it. I should have taken the hint that nobody was responding to the Podbot one. Like, nobody was giving me any reaction to it. And oh. I thought, they hadn't listened to it yet. And then, of yeah. course, I was delighted with that, and people hated it. <laughs> it's not, it, was, it, was, it wasn't easy on the ears in, a, in the sense that it was just her monotone voice, so there was no up and down. That's the thing. Yeah, I know. I tried my best. You're a bug and I'm a feature. Pray to this mantis or I'll eat you. And if you don't know my name, here's an update to teach you. I'm, I'm, I'm Hogwood and I'm the future. An AI podcasting computer. The number one zero one zero zero one one producer. I'm a psycho yeah, That's exactly what you do. So. Don't forget, now you owe us three euro. I come off the stage. Know, I've not, I've, I've not heard this. I swear to God. I'm going to send it to you right now, and you can get a genuine reaction. I'll actually listen to it. So I'm, I have my WhatsApp open. The best is Kevin Willem about the telly and the latest film. Coming straight to the dynamic duo. Don't forget, now you owe three euro. Come off the stage, old dad. <laughs> That's genuinely my first time hearing that. <laughs> I just could easily have just scrubbed it from my memory. That's the other thing that could have happened. How do you operate? I, 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 I generally just go on impulses. So if I need to toilet, I just toilet. And does, I don't, that doesn't necessarily mean or I need to be squat, in the proximity like a of a toilet. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You just go. I just nappy it, Kevin. I just man, I just adult nappy it. Oh, we've got loads to talk about. Um, <laughs> I've watched a load of things. So have I. But I think I should get one thing off my chest straight away because I think the discourse out there 
sometimes can feel really artificial to me and it can feel like people will films to be worse than they are in order to have something to point at and ridicule and sort of create content about. Should I start the timer? Have have we just started? Start the timer because I'm rare to go. I saw Madam Web. Right. I honestly, guys, know nothing. All All I know is I saw a poster very recently. It went... There's a Madam Web film, and I'm what is this? So it's a Spider Verse adjacent Marvel movie. Yeah, it's it's one of these Sony things where they did Venom and they're doing Craven the Hunter, okay. and it's sort of an offshoot of the Spider Man movies. But I don't right. know what universe they're in because they're trying to blend them all together. So is this the Tobey Maguire Spider Verse? To me, it feels like it's in that space. Mm. Anyway, I thought. I'm done with superhero movies. I'm just over them. I watched Captain Marvel not re- long ago, and I thought it was just tedious. Are you it's so lifeless. The Marvels, not Captain Marvel. Is that what Marvels? Well, yeah. she's in it. Captain Marvel. Captain yeah. Marvel two. It was just sort of like it was another one of those films that felt like Ant Man in that everything was chemical and synthetic and fake and mm-hmm. airless, and you know you just have sound stage after sound stage and. I just feel profoundly depressed watching those films. I feel like yes, there's nothing organic happening in these. From the lines of dialogue, to the hairstyles, to the costumes, to the sets, to the music, to everything just feels... It's artificial, wafer-thin, just wafery, artificially, no sustenance, no satisfaction. You know protein in it whatsoever. You feel like, oh, yeah. wow, I just, I just put something down my throat and I'm still hungry. It feels like eating plastic. Okay. On the whole, it's just drifted so far away from what Iron Man was that I just don't care about them. Yet, I found The Flash really fun because it was—it felt like a Bill and Ted type movie at times. It was off the wall bonkers and I don't really particularly give a shit about special effects. Whether they're good or bad, you know, I can buy into it because of the ideas behind it or the concepts behind it. So I wasn't like revolted by the, the special effects of the Flash. I just thought, you know, it's mm. funny to see babies falling out of windows and being put into microwaves and things like that. So I went to the Madam Web, not really giving a fuck about the genre, but I wanted to see it for the sake of having an opinion on it. And the trailer was awful. It had that terrible line reading in it from the Dakota Johnson where she's, she's shitting out exposition. And I think people had the film's cards marked at that stage. And uh, the film itself, to me, played like a Final Destination action thriller. And I thought it was really pleasant. It didn't bother me in the slightest. I didn't have any of the issues that everybody else has. It was uh, a reluctant hero with no superpowers whatsoever other than having premonitions, trying to keep three teenage girls alive against somebody who's like the evil version of Spider-Man who wants to murder them. And they just played it out in a very cinematic way where it felt like a Sam Raimi type Spider-Man. It looked as good as that. It was all real locations. For me, it felt like a lovely throwback to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. And I don't get why everybody loads the film. I thought it was just fun. Oh, wow. Uh, all I've yeah. seen is the negative discourse. And you're the first voice. I believe, you know, I haven't listened to the episode because I haven't watched the film yet. I know the Cinemile uh, had differing views. Oh, fuck. Me and Kathy, we were the, so far the only people that I know who don't think the film is dire, but they've almost had a hernia on that episode. It was very <laughs> enjoyable listen to listening to it. <laughs> Oh, I had to listen to it. <laughs> he was, I'm really curious. I'm really he was curious. disgusted because Kathy was pushing back and... 
I thought it was very, very funny. And then when I saw it, I was like, do you know what? I am actually on the side of Cathy here. This is actually grand. Right. This is actually grand. So I thought... <laughs> <laughs> but you know so what? Funny. It didn't feel like a superhero movie, so I liked it for that reason. Oh, it's okay. I'm just going to look up some of the, the credits. And I liked Dakota um, Johnson's performance as well. She was playing this sort of curmudgeonly antisocial character. And to put that type of person in the role of having to be a protector is actually really fun for me. And it's a role that you don't see many female characters inhabiting. That's more like a Harrison Ford type role. and. Um, I enjoyed it, so I don't get why everyone is shitting their britches over it. It's grand. <laughs> 